Welcome to the Daily Detox Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Center, integrative health practitioner, licensed occupational therapist, and your health detective. I'm excited to share with you natural, evidence-based, and effective solutions for achieving wellness. Become educated and empowered to transform your health for a more vibrant and happy life. Hey, welcome to season two of Daily Detox. I am your host, Stephanie Center. I want to start this episode out by thanking all of you. We made it to season two. (laughs) My first episode released June 1st of 2020. And to be honest, I wasn't sure what to expect. I knew that I had an important message that I wanted to share with the world, but I didn't exactly know how I would share it. I started a podcast, honestly, because there was no barrier to entry. Like I literally bought a mic, some intro music, and a Zoom subscription. It was that simple. My first few episodes are admittedly a little rocky. So if you've been with me since the beginning, thank you for hanging with me as I settled into my groove. All this to say, I wouldn't be where I am today without you and your support. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening. Thank you for encouraging me, and thank you for challenging me to become better. Today's episode is on one of my favorite topics, mold. I have a love-hate relationship with mold. I hate mold because, well, it made me really sick. It completely diminished my quality of life for a solid two years. If you're interested in learning more about my personal experience with mold, listen to episode nine of my podcast. I share about how I navigated mold illness through both traditional and functional medicine, and I highlight the strengths and opportunities of each approach. I guess to say the bottom line to that episode is you are the only constant in your healthcare, and you have to be your greatest advocate. Now, I can't say that I entirely hate mold. In fact, I'm really grateful for mold because it's the very reason that I'm doing what I do now. If I had not had such a powerful and awful experience, I may not be where I am today sharing this vital information with you. I may not be as passionate about the subject or as compassionate to my clients who suffer from mold. I started this podcast because I had an exposure to mold and that led to a whole host of health issues that eventually, unfortunately, since left untreated, turn into some autoimmune issues. And you know, the thing about it is doctors don't think to test your blood for mold and people don't think to test their homes for mold. And this is highly problematic since mold is so common and is oftentimes at the root cause of disease. And this is why my podcast is called Daily Detox (laughs) because we have to detox for mold. Um, There are a lot of misconceptions about mold out there, and my goal with this episode is to highlight some of them, because in many cases, they defy logic. I work with a lot of clients who suffer from mold toxicity, and I would go as far to say that it's one of my my specialties, or perhaps better put, (laughs) one of my obsessions. I spend a great deal of time reading about mold, how to treat the body when it's exposed to different types of mold, and just learning about mold in general. In this particular episode, we are going to look at mold from a different perspective. 
So we're gonna remove the medical lens and we're going to look at mold through a construction and remediation lens. And this is where I have much to learn. I really feel inept when it comes to understanding how mold accumulates in the home and how to adequately deal with it. And this is why I chose to interview Michael Rubino. I want you to have answers from the best of the best. <laughs> so in my opinion, Michael is the leading expert in mold remediation in the United States, maybe even the world. Michael is an international mold remediation expert with nearly a decade of field experience working with individuals who are specifically immunocompromised to improve the air quality of their homes. He is a council certified mold remediator by the IICRC and the ACAC. And he's a contributing member, sponsor, and speaker for the Indoor Air Quality Association. He works with roughly um, 75 to 100 families each year as they return to their homes after a mold exposure. If you have been following my story at all on Instagram, my husband and I have been renovating an older home, making it more functional, less toxic, and I would like to think a little more stylish. Of course, I believe you can do all three. You don't have to compromise style for a non-toxic non-toxic home. If you are interested in toxin-reduced living, I share some helpful information and photos how you can economically reduce your exposures to chemicals, VOCs, flame retardants, all that good stuff in your construction, paint, furniture, etc. Not super into Instagram, but the photos are really the best way to share this information. So that's where they're at. You can check this out at Holistic Stephanie Marie on Instagram. So that's H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C-S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-M-A-R-I-E. Holistic Stephanie Marie, all one word. Um, the information that I'm, uh, excuse me, the reason that I'm bringing this up now is because we found mold in our home. I ran an ERMI test, um, which came back positive for mold. And I made a post reel sort of thing on this, whichever one, it, the reel, it's a reel because I'm talking over my, my video. So I made a reel on how to read and interpret the results. So if you're interested in seeing that firsthand, you can go to my Instagram page. And then also we are gonna, I've been talking with Michael since we recorded this episode about him coming because um, he's making a Nashville trip in July. So been talking with him about doing remediation on our home, which of course I will document uh, for you all to see. Naturally, he was my number one choice for mold remediation. And um, Let's see, I think that's it for announcements. So please help me in giving a warm and grateful welcome to our mold expert and mold medic, Michael Rubino. Well, hello, Michael. Welcome to Daily Detox. I am so excited to, to interview you today. I've been really looking forward to this for a while. I'm a really big fan of the work that you're doing. And uh, like you mentioned before, uh, before we started recording, there needs to be more of you out there because, yeah. oh my goodness, what you do is just, um, you're changing lives. So uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. And I want to thank you for having me because you're, you're allowing the platform for us to talk about this and, it, and, you know, we're going to cover this today. And obviously this is a very important topic where both of us wouldn't be here. So thank you. 
Yeah. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, so before I dive into all things mold, so my audience is really familiar with mold because I share my personal health journey um, throughout yeah. the different episodes. So they all know that I'm, I'm quite obsessed with mold and mycotoxins. Um, but I would love to hear your story of how you got involved. You know, how did you get introduced to mold and mold remediation? Yes. Great question. So my dad's been a contractor since I'm five years old. So I've been around construction basically my entire life. That, that really provided the segue uh, of me really understanding how homes are built, buildings are built, et cetera. Um, watching my dad, you know, go to the projects uh, on the weekends, the summers, things like that, really just been exposed to buildings my entire life. Fast forward after college, um, moved back home, was working for my dad, I was in marketing. So working for my dad and he had a construction company, it was just kind of like, all right, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, as I started diving in, there was two paths, really. It was the restoration path or it was the uh, construction path. And um, for a while I was dibbling and dabbling in, you know, both getting, you know, doing design elements for projects, which was pretty cool. But I started really looking at the mold because it was, it was right around Sandy's when I moved back home. So that's when I really started to, to see that there was a lot of issues with the way, I mean, first off, just being such a big impact at one time and having all of these companies kind of come from all over the country, um, like these fly-by-night contractors. I mean, they were just picking people off the streets, putting them in houses that had no experience with mold or water damage. And, uh, you know, considering that remediation by just taking down walls, right? Fast forward, we started seeing people, I mean, for seven years thereafter, I was still re-remediating homes that were supposedly remediated from Hurricane Sandy, just because they were not feeling well. So it's, I really started to see the, the health impacts of this cause. And I started uh, getting away from design and construction and all that and saying, you know, I'm very interested in the mold aspect. Um, I, I guess maybe it's the nerd in me. I really enjoy science. Um, I really enjoy kind of, you know, diving into things, figuring out solutions to problems. And when I, when I started to see that remediation companies in its general sense don't really know what they're doing in terms of remediation for someone who it, it could be impacted from a health perspective, I was like, wow, this is a big problem that needs to be solved. And, and the more research I did, I saw that there was very few people trying to actually solve it. So that kind of really led me into this journey of getting obsessed with helping people who are sensitive to mold for one reason or another. And uh, now I've, you know, typically we help about 75 to 100 families a year. So I'm, I'm probably right on the cusp of a thousand families. That's amazing. You are such an incredible person and I'm so thankful that you exist because this is, it's, it's a systemic issue. I mean, um, so what I'm really interested to know, like what were some of the strategies that you found some of these, you you maybe call them like overnight companies that came in after hurricane Sandy, like what were they doing wrong or inefficiently that you had to come in and sort of, um, remediate? The whole ideology, really. So I feel like the industry with mold remediation, they're they're obsessed with trying to kill mold, right? We don't want to actually kill it. We want to remove it. What I've actually seen the transformation on like the CDC and the EPA's website. You go on the EPA's website and type in mold now. It talks about how, and for many years, it was not this way. Talks about how bleach is not effective 
in, in removing mold anymore. And that you don't want to kill mold, um, which is what people using bleach were trying to do. Mm. You want to actually physically remove it. You know, we know now that mold has roots called hyphae that grow into building materials. So this strategy of spraying products on it or wiping it away is not a strategy that actually works. It's kind of like trying to remove a weed from your lawn, right? If you just cut it off at the stem, mm. which is what wiping away would, would do essentially, guess what? The root's still there. It's just going to grow back, right? So we started seeing how the whole approach to remediation was, for lack of a better term, kind of a joke. You know, these guys would set up plastic. Um, they would just like basically duct tape it. It kind of looked like a four-year-old had set up these projects. You'd have, I'd walk into some projects where the client would call me and say, hey, this is not done right. I, can you come take a look? Yet the plastic is like falling down, right? I mean, they had no air scrubbers. Um, and air scrubbers are these machines designed to actually control the airflow. Because when you're remediating an area, you don't want that mold to escape into other parts of the home, right? And cause mm -hmm. more damage. So the, like just everything about the remediation industry was so construction centric and not really science-based that I was like, wow, this is a big problem. And that's just kind of scratching the surface. I mean, I, we started really experimenting with the removal of mycotoxins from the home, really back before mycotoxins were just starting to be tested for in the home. So if you, even if you called like your local mold company today and you said, Hey, can you uh, remove mycotoxins? They're probably going to be like, myco what, you know? So it's, we really started to dive into this a lot more, um, you know, in, in the science aspect. The other thing is ERMI. You know, we, I'm sure you're familiar with ERMI. I'm very familiar. Yes. Right. So most contractors will tell you, Oh, ERMI was developed by the EPA and the EPA says that it's experimental. So we shouldn't be using that and blah, blah, blah. Right. The fact is we should be using it. Um, it, it provides really good data to understand what is inside the environment and how do we remove it. And so, you know, there's, again, it's, we're backing away from science, getting more into the construction realm and these contractors, unfortunately, really aren't, you know, focusing on the science. And that's where I feel I've really started to dive into and, and kind of help with that. Okay, so can I ask you, so I'm, I was, I'm glad you brought up the ERMI because I was going to ask you about that. So cool. I've heard, I've heard mixed reviews, like, I actually recently purchased the ERMI to my husband and I literally just moved into a new house, like, three days ago. <laughs> and okay. I, I bought the ERMI because I wanted to just do an at-home test. And I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. The, the okay. closest company that I could find to test my house for mold is in Indianapolis. And so for me, the ERMI was affordable. It's like 300 bucks versus yep. you know, three grand to have this company come out from Indianapolis. And so I'm just kind of wondering, um, it sounds like you're a fan of the ERMI. Do you, do you support ERMI use for, for those that are like, I don't know if this house has mold. I want to test it. Um, and why, why do you support the ERMI if you do? So heck yes, I support ERMI. <laughs> um, and basically because what it does, it actually gives you the data of what's there, right? So if you do an ERMI, and, and I'm not talking about the score. I know the score is highly controversial and I can explain mm -hmm. and get into that. But the, the data that it shows is very, very useful. So if you do an ERMI and let's say you find a thousand spores of stachybotrys, 
you know that no matter what, there's mold, there's a source of mold somewhere in the home. Mm. It's producing stachybotrys. It's probably not a place you want to live because now you have to, you know, just to, just to move in there, you need remedial work to happen. Right. Yeah. So especially if you're renting, that Ermi is going to tell you yay or nay, right. On, mm. on getting into that place. It's got to be used correctly. Now, when I hear like doctors, when Ermi first, you know, really became popular in its use, doctors would be like, it's got to be below a two or it's got to be in quadrant one. And it's the answer is yes, I agree with that. But when you remediate, you can't really pick and choose which molds to remove and which not. You can just remove them all. And so that score is going to be skewed this, the day you finish remediation. Because what it actually, the scoring methodology is, is the part that's really flawed because it takes molds in group one and subtracts them from molds in group two. And basically the group two molds are there. They're the more outdoor molds that are common to have in your environment because, you know, we, we open windows, we open doors to come in and out. And so it's, you know, you want to make sure that the toxigenic, more water damage molds uh, are not higher than the outdoor molds. The problem is that right when you remediate, you're removing both. So for you to get a negative score or a score below a two, it's really just kind of the way the cards fall. Hmm. What you actually want to do is you, you want to remediate. You want to look and make sure that those levels are good. You want to make sure there's no stachybotrys, there's no catomium in the sample, and that all the tenfold molds are lower than the average. And that'll kind of give you that idea that, you know, you're on the right path to success here. Hmm. What you want to do is then test probably a few months later again just to make sure that, again, it's still progressed in a, in a better fashion. And so with our clients, if for some reason it doesn't, three months later, they'll send it over to us and we'll help figure out what's going on. Sometimes there was a source that was missed that needs to be you know, remediated and then the place cleaned again. Um, sometimes you know, the, the way that their environment is, like I had a client who lived near a horse farm and uh, there's high levels of catomium but, you know, being created in that horse farm that was aerosolized, that was always getting into their house. And I was like, okay, well, you're going to have to change kind of the way your lifestyle is here to really keep that catomium out of the house. So it's, it's always interesting uh, what can happen. There's certain things that are in your control and certain things that aren't. But I think you definitely want to utilize Ermi for sure. You just need to know how to utilize it correctly. Well, then tell us, so I, I was just about to say for our listeners that are like, hmm, I wonder if I have mold in my house, how do you, how do you recommend using the Ermi? Do you recommend going into like a bathroom or under a kitchen sink, or do you just recommend doing a wipe just in like every surface? Like, how do you recommend, what's the smartest way to use it? Well, I think, you know, the, the best way to use it is, you know, for a guy like me, I believe in data. So the best way to use it, I'm not saying it's the cheapest way, but would just be to do it in each room so you can understand what's going, what, how the environment is on a micro level, right? Mm, each, okay. cause each room is going to be different when you do a composite. And this is obviously, if you're like looking to rent the place, you're not going to sit there and test each room. You're going to do what's called a composite. And that means you're wiping like, you know, uh, ledges in almost every room, places where dust can collect. And, um, I think that that's a good enough telltale sign. If there is something dangerous going on there, mm. you're going to see it from that, that composite. 
Yeah. And I wish, I, I guess I should preface this with saying in our, in our own situation. So the housing market in Nashville is ridiculous. And I didn't have the opportunity to mold test any home before purchasing. Yeah. We had like one 20 minute slot where we could go in, place our bid and get like, it's just nuts. So yeah. I knew that I wouldn't have the luxury of being able to test a place before we bought it. But I did, I, I, we were smart in that we, you know, obviously didn't buy in a flood zone, high elevation and away from just any sort of like water collection. And one thing uh, that I also wanted to, to bring up, you, you've mentioned this uh, on my friend Dan's podcast, that houses don't necessarily need to be old for them to have mold. And this is really, I'm really passionate about this, this point because my personal mold exposure was in a brand new apartment complex. I mean, I was the first person to live there and I was positive for stacky, like off the charts positive, like to the point where you couldn't measure it anymore. And, and, and I, I ask, I want you to talk about this for two reasons. One, because I think that there's this false idea that new homes don't have mold because they're new. And then also because there's a lot of people out there that are sick. When I was sick, I didn't assume it was mold. I hadn't, I had no, there, I could, there wasn't black mold visible anywhere. And I didn't know that my symptoms were related to mold. I didn't have respiratory symptoms. And so I feel like there's a lot of people out there that maybe don't feel well and that mold is playing a role and yeah. they, there's not, you know, it's not as easy as like, oh, we like stacky is a great example because you can see it, but not all molds you yeah. can see. And so I just, no. yeah, I'm sorry. I'm being long-winded. I just wanted to ask you about that because you've made that point before. And I just was like, it was a hallelujah moment. Yeah. So you made, you made like three really amazing points. So yes, stacky, botrys, catomium, those are going to be darker black molds, right? it's easy to see that. The other thing is a lot of molds are not that color, right? Like aspergillus tends to be white. So unless you're looking for this white powdery substance, you know, you may, it's very, very easy to miss it. Um, with that being said, we're also talking about mold is microscopic. It's between two and four micro, micrometers in size. So by the time you see it on a wall, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of it present, right? So we have to keep that in mind too. Mm. It's also a living organism, right? So it, it, it's alive. It's, it, it, it does reproduce by means of spores. It can produce mycotoxins as we talked about earlier. Diving into the, uh, the health space real quick. You know, what's interesting to me is the average person takes about 20,000 breaths per day. So you're consuming more air than anything else, right? More, more than food, more than water. But we never look at air quality in terms of optimizing our health, right? So the answer to your question is, if you don't feel well, the first thing that you should be mm. thinking of is, is there possibly anything going on in my air quality, right? When I start asking people this, they're like, you know, I did notice there was a leak, you know, and then I started not feeling better or I just moved into a new place, right? And now I'm not feeling better. You know, sometimes a change in air quality is, is often the last place we look, but it really should be the first place, right? Just based mm -hmm. upon how much air we consume. So I wanted to get that out. And then yes, the, the third point of, of having mold inside of a new construction home. Yes, logistically, or, or sorry, logically, when we think about that, we're like, no, it's impossible. Mold in a new home, that, that doesn't make sense, right? Or they would think like, well, you'd have to have a faulty builder to have that, right? Actually, 
Mold is very common in, in new construction homes, especially the way we build homes today, as opposed to let's say 20, 30 years ago. The reason being is one, we use a lot, uh, we use a lot cheaper materials today than we did previously. You know, we're, we're getting a lot of our uh, wood from China. Um, it's more porous than the conventional lumber that we used to have. So, you know, and, and I don't know if anyone's been around construction listening to this, but you know, if, if, you've, if you've seen homes that were built, you know, 30 plus years ago, I mean, the wood is thicker, more robust, and it looks like it just got cut from a tree, as opposed to now it's all like this manufacturer. I mean, they, they're, they're, you know, combining a lot of it with glue and plastic and all these other things to make it, you know, more affordable so they could put houses up faster. Unfortunately, that's hasn't helped us on the environmental side. The other thing is we're building houses tighter than ever. I mean, we're spray foaming the crap out of all of our houses from top to bottom. And that creates two problems. One, these we're, we're building with materials that are meant to breathe. So by trapping the, you know, by trapping them, we're not allowing them to breathe. So anytime there is higher than normal humidity or moisture intrusion, it's going to get trapped and it's going to create more of an opportunity for mold than ever before. And the other thing is you can't see it now. So if you have a roof leak and it's behind your spray foam, odds are it's going to kind of cascade down before you ever get to notice it until it's literally rotting your wood all behind the spray foam because it's you just can't see it. So that's, that's another problem that that's started to create. It's only going to be a, a further problem down the road because, again, we're not really aware of it until we start getting sick. The third problem is the way we build homes. Um, when we deliver the lumber into the, uh, onto the lot when we're about to build, we put it right in the mud, right? Mm. It, it rains throughout the course of you know, time of when the house is being built. And uh, the fact that it's sitting in the mud is going to trap that moisture into that lumber for longer periods of time. And anything that's wet longer than 24 to 48 hours has that opportunity where mold can start to grow. So the lumber sitting on the mud is not really great. After all that, then they, they build it. By that time, there's probably already mold on it. But then it's going to rain throughout the process of you building it. The wood's going to get wet again. Anytime the wood is touching another substrate, whether it's mud or the concrete underneath it, or just even between another piece of wood, you're going to have trapped moisture. It's going to stay wet longer. So it, I'm actually in this exact scenario. I was building a house with a builder. Um, the, the reason the story is amazing is because I actually had a chance to test everything. So I can give you real raw data here. Awesome. Um, while the house was at its dried in stage, meaning that the home was, the exterior was done, the windows were in, the lumber was built, they were getting ready to start installing insulation and drywall. Well, as I walked in for that routine inspection, I saw mold everywhere. I mean, and I was, I was shocked because it was unprecedented levels. You know, I always, ex I did expect a little bit of mold and, and I did ask if I can treat it, you know, on my own, you know, in, before they started, you know, building that next stage, I was told yes. And then of course, later I was told no, but at this process, I, I saw the place and said, guys, this is a problem. You know, I need to, you, I need to treat this place. And they were like, no, 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 we're going to have our people treat it. So they they had their people come in and treat the place. 
this is, this is the point I tested right after they treated. There was 1.5 million spores of aspergillus all over the second floor roof uh, decks. And there was also 800 spores of catomium sitting in the kitchen uh, mm -hmm. all over the lumber in the kitchen. And this is like, you know, I mean, they, they, they tested one area um, inside the kitchen that had 800 spores. We didn't, you know, I didn't spend $10,000 doing a million tests in there either. So if it was in one area, odds are it was in other areas in the kitchen yeah. as well. Same thing with the lumber on the second floor. So 1.5 million spores of aspergillus, which is a mycotoxin producing mold, is really not something that I wanted to live in with my family and take that risk. So I immediately pushed back and said, "You, whoever remediated this does not know what they're doing, needs to come back in here and redo it. You need to hold somebody accountable or have me do it, right? And uh, at that point, they decided they wanted to cancel the contract. What's interesting is we're, we're in a legal proceeding now because basically I'm like, hey, you have, you're selling me a house with mold. You know, I want you to fix it. And then they're like, yeah, no, we're just going to sell it to somebody else, right? We, we're going to, you know, this is too much of a headache for us. And they actually sued me to get out of the contract. So we're, we're obviously countersued for breach of contract, fraud, and all these, all these other things. And um, on one of our subpoenas, we subpoenaed a bunch of documents from them to build a case on, obviously. The case is really on whether they knew maliciously that, that it had mold and what if they prioritized the profits over, you know, doing the right thing. Yeah. And uh, we got an email from the CEO of the company that stated word for word, let's cancel the contract with this family because we can build it and sell it to somebody else. Uh, we can continue building it and sell it to somebody else for a higher price. So that was the, the email from Ooh. the CEO of the company that went down, which is what uh, got them to send me a cancellation agreement, which obviously I wouldn't sign. But it goes to show you that not only are we building homes with mold, but we're not caring that we're doing so. And when someone like me brings it to their attention and says, hey, it's a problem, their response to me was, well, we can always improve our businesses now, can't we? So it's such little regard is taken for the, the health of our society. And this is the type of things that happen. Kind of makes me a little emotional because... I mean, that's so careless and so heartless. Like I think about how sick I was and I was really, really sick from mold. I mean, I, it totally changed my life's trajectory and I'm, and I'm grateful for it now because I'm able to do good with it and help others. Yeah. But if the builder of the, the apartment building that I lived in had the potential to know, you know what I mean? Yeah. and just not care. And I know everybody's affected differently. Like my husband tested positive for mold too, but he wasn't half as sick as I was, but that doesn't matter. Right. Because right. everybody's and, and women, I think are a little more susceptible to a lot of things. Like are, we're just a little more fragile, but like the reason I do what I do is so that nobody has to suffer the way I suffered. And like your story just really ignites me because this person knowingly is going to subject some other family to this problem. And what if, what if the person moving in was like me, you know, and doesn't have the, the right detox, you know, uh, clearly I have issues with detox. Right. And that's, that's part yeah. of why, you know, mold build up in my body worse than my husband's. I just, I just think about that and think like, 
where are our priorities? That's so inhuman. It's so just like no respect for human quality of life. So I'm sorry you're dealing with that, but I'm also grateful that you can share that story with others because I know that there's somebody listening who maybe is a CEO in a company that has, you know, has influence. Yeah, that's just, I can't believe that. (laughs) Taking a quick break from the show so that we can have some real talk about reducing your exposure to toxins all while supporting a small local female founded business. You know, I have been on the hunt for non-toxic candles for years, like literally years, without finding anything that meets my standards. I really enjoy both the aroma and the ambiance that candles have on the, the mood, the vibe, the atmosphere. I mean, candles can make a huge difference in just how cozy your home feels. And okay, I know this is going to sound like first world problems, but I felt really deprived when I had to give up candles after my run-in with mold toxicity because literally nothing on the market is safe. And that's when I came across Sea Love candles. Not only are these the best smelling candles and also, if I might add, cutest looking candles on planet Earth, but they are 100% non-toxic and they're eco-friendly. The founder, Stacy, started this company because her husband had asthma and he couldn't tolerate the synthetic fragranced candles. So what did she do? She started making her own. This company is a small batch shop off the coast of Maine, and I highly recommend considering giving them your business over the big box chain companies that provide little in terms of quality and sustainability. Visit sealovecandles.com. That's S-E-A, like, you know, the water, C love, L-O-V-E, candles.com, and use the code HOLISTICHOUSE10 for 10% off your purchase as a thank you for both listening to this podcast and supporting a wonderful small business. Again, that's S-E-A-L-O-V-E, candles.com, and the code is HOLISTICHOUSE10. I love the warmth and the glow of these candles at night. I I actually, I even light a candle at my desk on a rainy day. It just, it makes me so happy and I hope it'll make you happy too. Okay, let's get back to the show. You know, it it was, um, it was one thing going through this hassle, right? And understanding that they may not know better. But then once I, you know, once we got word that the CEO knew about it and tried to cover it up, I mean, that's when things really was just like, wow. I mean, it's, you know, it's one thing if we need to educate society to do better and be better. It's another thing if we're literally prioritizing profits over the health of the families that we're building homes for, right? I mean, these, your home is supposed to be your sanctuary, right? A place where you come come home from work or from life and decompress and heal, right? It's not supposed to be a place that makes you sick. And so the fact that these guys are willing to do that to me and my family, and then not only that, but when I called it out, they said, forget you, you're a headache. We're just going to sell it to some other unsuspecting family. I was like, wow. I mean, we have no accountability here, right? And that's, you know... Now it's, it's become really passionate for me that this company needs to do the right thing. They need to be held accountable, you know, and 
I have no idea what's going to happen. Either it's going to go to trial and there's going to be a jury and they will decide in the public eye who's right and who's wrong in this scenario, or it comes down to a settlement. And if there's a settlement, then part of that, part of what I, what I want is I want them to A, fix the house so that whoever they do sell it to is not going to get sick, but B, they need to, to create some sort of awareness campaign regarding mold so that the families that they sell homes to in the future know that there's a, always a possibility that when they're building one of their homes, there could be mold. And mm -hmm. here's, the, here's the steps they can take to hold them accountable, right? Because that's part of the problem. It's like mm -hmm. we're selling things without any accountability and we're not educating them on making the right choices, right? And, and that's, that's part of the problem here. And, um, you know, I'm doing everything that I possibly can to create a platform to educate others and, you know, keep people from making these types of mistakes. But it, it, it shouldn't have to take a mold expert going into a home for that person to then be like, hey, this is a problem. You know, everybody should have the opportunity, the same opportunity to know that their home is going to be safe for them. Oh, yes. It's, you are so well-spoken. That's beautifully said. And I, I couldn't agree more. I'm wondering what your opinion. So part of my, my efforts to educate others, not just about the, the fact that mold can contribute to underlying health conditions, autoimmune disease. I think that mold has opportunity there to play. It's kind of what I consider an underlying hidden stressor on the body. Um, and that's something I do IgG, IgE testing in my practice. I, I test for mold. I do a blood test um, along awesome. with like organic acids to tell me how the mitochondria is functioning, um, other things, hormone function, because at the end of the day, they're, they're all kind of related. And one of how the- about, have you, have you, have you ever explored epigenetics testing? I haven't. I haven't. Uh, so there's a, a doctor that, that uh, I actually remediated her house and became good friends with her. And I know she's doing a, a lot of study with epigenetics testing. So I was curious. Um, it's Dr. Tanya Dempsey. She's out in New York and she does a uh, epigenetics test. I think she said she gets it from Germany, you know, and it's, it's really, it's like this whole new development, but it's essentially what it's, what it actually does is analyze the DNA mm -hmm. and it can tell what's resting on top of it, whether it's mold, heavy metals, things like that. So I, I was just curious as, I was curious to see if, 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 um, if you knew anything about that, because um, one of the things that I would like to know is um, we have a big problem in the mold industry as far as legal cases, right? And accountability, mm. you know, if like a landlord, if you go to see your landlord, cause there was mold the it's, it's not that you can't win the case on mold. It's that you can't win the case on proving that mold impacts the body. That's the problem. And because you, the IgG testing is amazing, right? We know that we have mold toxicity, but they're, they're stating basically that it's not part of the universal rule of evidence acceptance and that it needs to be something like DNA testing. And apparently mm -hmm. these epi epigenetics test the DNA and that could be something, it's, it's yet to be used in a, in a case, but I was just curious to see if you were tracking with that or not. But I would love, I would love for you to look into that. I think you'll love it. Yeah, I'll definitely. Um, I might bug you for for her name again after we're <laughs> yeah, we're done. No so problem. Can, no problem. But um, you know, you you bring an interesting point, and and one of the the limitations I would say with you know testing for mold is like let's say somebody has a stroke 
you can look at an MRI and you can tell if that stroke is acute or if it's remote. It happened a while ago. With right. mold, it's there or it's not. Like you can see if there's a lot or little, right? You can see how much, um, but you can't see how old. And so mm. it's, for me, it's frustrating and it's hard to, to, you know, I'll never know where my exposure was really. I think I know. I'm, I'm pretty sure I know because I felt really sick about two weeks after moving into this new apartment. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty sure, but I, I didn't get, I didn't get tested for mold until long after I moved out. So that whole time, I mean, my symptoms were all GI. So I had no, yeah. no idea mold wasn't even in the picture. And of course, in traditional medicine, nobody thinks to test you for mold. They don't, doctors don't even know how to test you for mold. They just, yeah. you know, go, oh, you're having tummy troubles. Let me, let me write you a prescription. And, you know, yeah. all of a sudden you're taking a bunch of meds and you're like, I still feel like crap. I don't feel any better because yeah. when you don't treat mold, what, is, what does mold do? It colonizes, it grows. And mold has, um, this really keen ability to, you know, hide behind the gallbladder and just in really hard places to get rid of. And so that's one of my frustrations. So I would think that, you know, if, if something were to go to court, like that would be a really hard thing to say, this building is what caused it because that's, that's a limitation to testing. It's hard to prove, you know, and, and we're, it's, it's so painful too, because like, like you said, you know, you moved into that place and got sick. So it's like, while it's, while it's impossible to prove, right. You have a pretty good idea. Yeah. You were fine all this time until you moved into that place. Two weeks later, you start to really notice you're not doing fine. Right. So it's a pretty good indicator in my opinion, right. That yeah. your place, your place definitely had something that was impacting you, especially when we zoom back out and say 20,000 breaths per day. It's a lot of air intake. And if that air is toxic, it's, it's very common that you would not feel well. And this can be in anybody, right? And then it's even worse for someone who isn't detoxifying as well as the average person, right? Because now you're just getting overloaded. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, it's really frustrating because we live in a society today where this is really an evolving science. And so there is not enough medical journals, clinical studies, white papers, and, and, and studies that have really been occurring to kind of change the trajectory of, hey, we should really look at air quality. And mold and mycotoxins are a big part of air quality. You really blew my mind when you said that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've never thought about it that way. You take, you take what did you say, 20,000 breaths? 20,000 breaths per day. Yeah. So air should be the first, like, that is, that is genius. That is so genius. I'm, I'm tucking that away in my back pocket for the next person that comes to see me because that's so true. So I focus a lot on water. Like I I have them, you know, clients show me their like makeup bag and what kind of, what, what kind of, what are you drinking out of? And what are you drinking? Because I like, like you said, I like to keep it simple. Let's start with the basics. What are you putting in your body and on your skin air? Duh. Like, and I, and yeah. I suffered from mold. Obviously I should be thinking about this and that you just, yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. And I, I'm really, really good at connecting the dots. So, you know, that, that's kind of what I've become obsessed with and, and really how I became an expert in this field is taking different dots, connecting them, trying them. And then when they work said, this works guys, and putting that into protocols and guidelines and making a whole business out of these things to help people. Right. And so 
the, the latest, the latest connecting the dots I've done is, you know, when it's actually, they've changed it recently, but like as of a month or two ago, you'd go on the CDC website or the EPA website and it would say like, mold is really not harmful, except if some people are sensitive to it. And like, that was like the whole literature on mold. And you're just like, okay, this is the CDC, the EPA, the people we look up to, to tell us as a society, what's, what's healthy, what's not healthy, how do we, what's dangerous, what's not dangerous. So for these organizations to say, mold is not really dangerous, except if you're sensitive to it, is kind of like a slap in the face, right? What does that even mean? (laughs) What does it even mean? But what's so funny is when you go on one more page that has nothing to do with mold, just about air quality, and you search for particulate matter, because what is mold? Mold is, mold creates particles that get into the air that you inhale and get into your body, or it gets through your skin, your pores, et cetera, right? So they're particles. When you go on this, those same websites, type in particulate matter, it'll tell you anything smaller than 10 micrometers is a real big danger to human health because they're so small, they pass right through the respiratory tract and enter the bloodstream. Like, wait a second, I thought mold wasn't harmful because mold is smaller than 10 micrometers. It's somewhere between two and four micrometers. So it's like mold's not harmful, except when we're not talking about mold and we're talking about particles, (laughs) then it's harmful. So it's just kind of like, okay, when when you start connecting the dots, you can tell that it's just side skirting, right? Mm. then I started looking at the history. I'm like, we got to look at the history of mold because something is weird here. You look at the history and you say, really, it was like the late 80s that doctors, scientists, et cetera, started saying mold is uh, definitely a cause of adverse health reactions. It's all over the news in the late 80s, like a big thing, right? In the 90s, you had hundreds of millions of dollars in lawsuits. I mean, if you go on allamericanrestoration.com and you go and type in, we have a ton of free resources in there. There's an article called History of Mold. I literally outline all of this stuff and you can verify what I'm saying. Wow. Google is an amazing thing for this. (laughs) Hundreds of millions of dollars in losses. You can pull up the cases and everything. I literally list each case out, okay? And you'll see is like, uh, you know, builder gets sued for a hundred million dollars for, you know, this family who got sick and- you know, uh, insurance company gets sued for, you know, Johnny Smith's remediation company that didn't remediate properly. And it's just like all these, all these lawsuits. And you're like, wow, what happened? We like totally went the other way. Well, I'll tell you what happened in 2001, the CDC says mold is no mold. They retracted all their statements from the the late eighties and nineties that mold makes people sick to, to now mold doesn't make people sick. Some people are sensitive to it though. And, uh, all of a sudden, since 2001, there was very little lawsuits. So it goes to show you how powerful that the government can be or these government agencies can be. And, you know, obviously, if, if you want my opinion on what happened, and I'm not a conspiracy guy at all, it just, when you connect the dots, it's like people were getting sick, mold was becoming a big thing, it was sensationalized. There's a lot of money lost in lawsuits. And at that point, these big insurance companies, they had to lobby the CDC and these other people to walk back their claims. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they were losing hundreds of millions of dollars and they couldn't figure out how to not lose that type of money because the reality of it is based upon the current principles created by the IICRC, right? The the governing body of the guidelines, if you will, that people use uh, to remediate and maintain 
homes and buildings, they're just so far off of where they need to be. So it's this lack of knowledge and understanding of how to do things the right way that's created this litigious uh, piece of, of things that have lost so much money. And instead of them saying, hey, let's, let's adapt and figure this out and make sure our houses don't have mold, they went the opposite way, the lazy way, and said, let's just say that mold isn't a problem. That's, that's what, what I'm connecting the dots as, um, just based upon what I see. And, and fast forwarding to 2021, you have a guy like me who's basically shaking the industry up and saying all of this stuff is outdated. These are the new guidelines that you need to follow. And they're all scratching their head and fighting amongst each other while I'm sitting here making change. So it's, you know, I'm clearly seeing these signs and what's making sense. I think we're probably 20 years uh, behind still where we need to be. Yeah. I've, I've actually, I've heard that um, I, I am slightly obsessed with mold and whenever I'm goodness on clubhouse or whatever, I'm always in a room where they're <laughs> talking about mold. And what I hear time and time again is we are behind the times in our technology. Somebody compared it to, you know, we're using Atari when Atari technology to diagnose and treat mold when we have access to, you know, I don't know games. I don't know, but whatever, whatever today's <laughs> PlayStation five. <laughs> yeah. PlayStation five. Yeah. We have access to PlayStation five, but we're using Atari and right. um, it just, uh, you know, the healthcare industry is like that too. Right. Like we're just yeah. really, especially in the United States, like I got to um, serve on a, a committee once to get joint commission accreditation for a spine and joint unit in a hospital. And I was reading research from the UK from like 10 or 15 years ago, <laughs> because yeah. we're just so behind the times. And so it, I mean, it just doesn't surprise me that, that this is one of those areas. And yeah. I, I, I don't, I'm not a conspiracy theorist either, but there, I, I think there are lots of uh, opportunities to connect the dots in the CDC. And I, I, I don't find them a, a super credible source myself. I look to yeah. like the environmental working group or, or somebody that's maybe not associated with the government, somebody that can't be bought over by larger corporations because um, government can. So yeah, um, it's true. It's, it's, it's unfortunate truth. You know, here's the problem. If, if you want to really look at it, I think that we're so used to as a society saying, I don't feel well or for whatever reason. And they're like, well, let's just develop a pill for that. Is there a pill mm -hmm. for that already? You know, here's the prescription. If yeah. there's not a pill for that, you know, they're giving pharmaceutical companies billions of dollars to find a pill for that. Yeah. Even though the cause of what's happening could be something completely simple. Yeah. So far in front of your face that it's obvious. And it's like, maybe the solution is improving the air quality or improving the diet or going out and getting more exercise. Yeah. Right. Instead of that, we're like, well, let's just give a couple billion dollars to, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical industry to develop a new pill, right? right? It's like, we're not thinking that there's a form and function for things yeah. and that the, the little blue pill does not solve everything, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> you should host this podcast. <laughs> that, is, that is like what I say, like in every episode is, you know, migraines aren't a, a an Advil deficiency, yeah. right? They're not, they, something causes migraines and, right. um, you know, traditional medicine, <laughs> there's a time and a place for everything. I'm not against traditional medicine, sure. but we don't, 
let's not manage symptoms with medications. I mean, that's, that's where I went wrong. I, I sought out traditional medicine and again, wasn't treating the mold. And what happened? I continued to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And, right. and on top of that, I had the sticking point of, I looked healthy. I was like in my twenties. I was, I was young, thin, like I, I didn't look like somebody that had a bunch of health issues. And so it was really hard for me to get taken seriously yeah. because you, like you said, it's microscopic. So it, yeah. it's so then they're, saying, so then they're telling you to take some antidepressants probably. Right. That's a lot of my clients have had that where they're <laughs> like, I, I feel ill and they're trying to tell me uh, that I need a psych evaluation. And it's like, mm. no, you don't need a psych evaluation. Let's check out your house. It's you crazy. Need, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Like how, where we, where we are at and the, just the lack of knowledge, like people don't think that your home can cause you to be sick, but yeah. science tells us that it can, because the other thing about water damage is that bacteria can accompany water damage, depending on where the water traveled through Absolutely. to get into your home, right? And bacteria produces its own set of toxins, right? So these are all things that you have to think about. And again, you know, I've heard this, this old, old adage that, well, mold's been around forever and, you know, we're, you know, we've never been this sick. I mean, yes, we have, we used to die at 30 years old. Okay. It's not, you know, like we used to get infections and things like that. We would die off of bacteria, viruses, mold. We just, you just didn't really know about it. And also, and I mentioned earlier, we've also headed in the wrong direction in terms of how we build and maintain our homes. So yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta really calculate all of that together. Well, and then on top of that, I mean, we're spending more time at home now than ever. Yeah, like if any true. place needs to be a safe haven, it has to be your home. And, um, yeah. I wanted, this is what I wanted to ask you. Um, and I forgot earlier, <laughs> we were just so in a great conversation. So one of the things that I, that I like to do is educate people, not, not just on mold and mycotoxins, but I make a point to make sure that my furniture doesn't contain VOCs or flame retardants or right. things that I could potentially breathe in. What are your thoughts on or do you have thoughts on, you know, non-toxic paint and non-toxic furniture? Like how, how important is that stuff to you being a mold, the mold get expert, the mold guy, like how, where does that fall into your priority list or does it? I do. It does fall into my priority list because honestly, I mean, you know, those are also, they, they also produce particles. VOCs, right? It's that those, those odors that you smell. I mean, probably the most, uh, the simple analogy or thing to think about would be when you paint right after you paint as that paint is curing it's off gas and it's producing what's called volatile organic compounds mm-hmm. well those are actually particles you can measure them in size and they're actually entering your body and passing through your respiratory tract and what seems like an odor is really particles entering the body so in terms of air quality it does impact your air quality and if your home has spray from all over the place and it's built really tight guess what? It has nowhere to go. So you bring all this mm-hmm. stuff in, you paint your house with all these toxic products with these formaldehyde glues. Guess what happens? Your house fills up with VOCs, formaldehyde, and potentially mold if there's a water damage occurrence there. So it just, again, it creates this environment that's toxic. There's actually a client in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, probably a year and a half ago, that exact thing was happening. There was a brand new house. It was beautiful. I mean, they had like these wood panels everywhere, like these custom, like wood panels, very modern looking. It was like, you know, a house out of a magazine for sure. Mm. And they were, they were sick. They couldn't even live in it because they had no ventilation. The house was totally tight. 
they had formaldehyde and VOCs through the roof, and that's the air that they were breathing. So it's really important to make those types of decisions. Anytime you have the opportunity to get a you know low or no VOC product, uh, formaldehyde free, all of that stuff is going to be helpful. The furniture, you know, like you wouldn't believe how much furniture that we get contains formaldehyde. Oh yeah, it's, and I'm really I'm really grateful that. Um companies are starting to recognize that people care about that stuff. It used to be really hard to find low tox furniture, like unheard of. And um, yeah, I'm thankful for the state of California because prop 65 helped out a little bit with that (laughs) because these big, these big chain companies want to be able to sell their products in California. So to be able to do that, they they need to kind of change things for everybody. Uh, But yeah, I was, I was just wondering what your opinion was on that. So thanks. Thanks for sharing. You have a book called the mold medic. Can you tell us a bit about what that's about and um, how people can find it? Yeah. So I wrote the book because I started to realize that I wasn't going to solve this problem one house at a time. I needed to get (laughs) that information out there. And um, you know, I wrote it with the viewpoint of, okay, I am not feeling well and I think mold is potentially a problem. What do I do? And um, the first chapter is very interesting. It's called Honda versus Mercedes. And um, that's how the mold medic starts out. You're like, why does two car makers have anything to do with mold? Um, It's it it basically how the book starts is me telling the story of kind of me being the new guard versus the old guard. And you have, this is a true story. I sat down at this client's house who called me after they hired somebody else and it failed. And they wanted me to help diagnose why it failed and get things back on track, which I was happy to do. So I sat down at the table and I asked the guy, you know, why did you do X, Y, and Z? So what was X, Y, and Z? So for instance, it was a crawl space he remediated and he basically didn't remediate 95% of it. The only parts that he remediated was, um, let's say you have a beam like this, right? The underside of the beam, that's all he remediated. So not the sides, right? You have the sides of the beams too. He just remediated the underside of the beam. It's not really doing much, right? And so I asked him, why would you just do that? You know, if it's not monolithic, how does it work? Monolithic means the whole thing's really got to be done, right? And so he was like, well, that's just the way I've always been doing it. I'm like, well, how long have you been doing it? He's like 35 years. I'm like, well, then you've been doing it wrong for 35 years, you know? That's a logical fallacy right there if I've ever heard one. (laughs) And he's like, well, no, you see, here's the deal. I'm like the Honda of mold remediation and you're like the Mercedes of mold remediation. And I, I mean, like, I literally was dumbfounded. I was like, did this guy really just say that? He (laughs) thinks that there's like levels to this stuff. No, no, there's just right and wrong, you know? And so- (laughs) The book starts off like that because it gives you like a really good, solid idea of what's wrong with our industry, you know, and how we're really missing the mark on air quality. The guys that are supposed to be the protectors of air quality have no idea how to control air quality. It's amazing. Mm. But yet there's 50,000 remediation companies out there that are supposedly remediating. What they're doing, I'm not really sure, but they're not passing, you know, in terms of air quality tests. They're just, they're not, they're not, they're missing the mark. Right. And so then I start diving into after like that chapter kind of explains why am I writing this book? Right. In the first place, then I go into like, okay, how do you find a good mold inspector? Cause that's challenging. Right. 
you, you don't want somebody that's going to come in in, in 20, 30 minutes throughout the door. And you're like, did, did he, did he find anything? I'm not really sure. Right. That, then you have, how do I interview for a good mold remediation company, which I, I outlined in there too, like the questions you should be asking. Cause again, that's, that's difficult. And I can't remediate every house in America. So somebody, you know, somebody else out there has to be good that you can hire. And if I give you a roadmap, hopefully you, you find that person. Right. And so, and then I talk about what do you, you know, what do you do with your stuff? How do you improve the HVAC system? So the HVAC system's not contributing, um, it's, you know, a lot of remediation projects that we're on, when we look at the results, the HVAC system now becomes a mold factory of its own. Whereas maybe a leak, uh, a roof leak started off, created the source, that source gets aerosolized, it gets in the HVAC system, the HVAC system now becomes this mold factory. Yeah. How do we stop that from happening in the future? And I kind of dive into all these different things. And then of course, how do I build this space back so this doesn't happen again, right? Mm -hmm. Very important piece of the puzzle as well. And so that's really how I wrote, wrote the book with that in mind. And each chapter kind of takes you through what you need to do. And, um, and it's, it's, it's 150 pages long. So, and it's written in simple terms, right? I, I, didn't, I didn't want to overcomplicate things or be complex. I wrote it so mm -hmm. that the average person can read it without all these microbiological terms. So it's just easy to read and, and really absorb that information and put it to use. And that, you know, that's, that's the book. Wow. I really appreciate that. And I, I, I appreciate the uh, simple terms, even though I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting savvy with the mold language. Um, yeah. Not, not quite there yet. I'm uh, I'm really grateful. There's a, have you, have you heard of the book non-toxic guide to, to living in a chemical world? I have actually heard of that book. I haven't read it yet though. Oh, she, that Dr. Ailey Cohen, I've actually, I've had her on the show too. She, um, that's awesome. She, that book just totally, I, I'm going to buy yours too, but that book just totally changed my life and the way that I look at, you know, just things that we, toxins we put on our skin and our, in our bodies and things we're oh, yeah. subjected like, to. Um, and she wrote that in, in terms of, you know, anybody, she has a book that's written for doctors. Um, okay. Does she but, talk about plastic? Cause like, it's, oh, yeah. it's crazy how much plastic <laughs> we consume with all, like all my shampoo and my conditioner comes in glass. Mm not plastic because the plastic it sits in a warehouse at a hundred yeah. degrees while it's waiting to be shipped. And guess what? That plastic leaches into your shampoo and conditioner and that's, what's getting into your body. Right. So there's a lot of stuff like that in that book. You are so my people, Michael. <laughs> yes. I love that. No, that's good. No, I want to, I definitely want to read that. She, I, I'd love to learn. Yeah. More about that. She talks about how that disrupts the endocrine system. Like she just kind of goes yeah. there. Oh, and it makes sense. She talks about like, She'll even go into how, um, you know, this water bottle wasn't made with BPA. However, there's BSA yeah, or BPS. Sorry. Yeah. BPS is <laughs> yeah. even more toxic than BPA, but it's yeah. not as commercialized. So people don't know what to look for and company yeah. bank on that. And it's just like, whoa, um, I had to read it in small yeah. doses because it was, it's definitely a lot of information, but, um, I feel like your two books should be like combined together in a She's, package yeah, here, and yeah. like every, and you know, you know, what's something cool to consider. Um, so she goes to schools and teaches this stuff to kids, which I think is genius. Wow, that's really cool. Wow. Like, that's amazing. Like, I feel like your information needs to be taught to like 
high schoolers or, you know, people that, that really care about the world and, and that are going to be changers in the next generation. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. Like seniors in college, you know, they're about to go, go out in the world and buy their first house. It'd be amazing. Like if we, you know, if, if, if people knew, like, you know, when you buy a house, you don't get an instruction manual, right? Like, you know, you don't even, even before you buy the house, you don't get in, nobody tells you like, Hey, look out for water damage or look out for mold or how this can impact your health or look out for things that are going to need to be maintained over the next few years. It, you don't, you, and yeah. you know, as homeowners, cause I've been there, you know, we just, we don't really fix stuff until it breaks down. No one tells you you should proactively do things. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. We reactively. We're like, Oh yeah, the window leaked. It's already created a ton of mold. Now I'm going to order and change the window. And by the time you get yes. your new window, it's four weeks later. Right. So, and then we're like, oh, it's dry. I don't see any bubbling on the outside (laughs) of the drywall. So it's probably good. You don't think to like get it checked out for mold. You just leave it, you change your window, you're good to go. And so that's kind of the problems is like, no one's ever taught us about that. And then, and even worse, we came from this, this world where we threw bleach on mold or painted over it. Right. So not only did we come from this, you know, uh, misinformation, but then we've adapted to now we think that it's a problem, yeah. but we don't know when it's a problem. Mm. So we're not, we're still not doing anything about it. So, you know, it's, it's crazy. Mm. I, I'm writing my second book right now. And I'm hoping to finish by the end of the year that hey. um, what I real yeah. So what I realize is we need a, pre, we need a preemptive book for the mold medic to talk about oh. air quality in general, like, <gasps> what you need to, you know, just to like, I was like, you know, there's no man instruction manual for a homeowner. I'm like, why don't I write one? (laughs) So (laughs) that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm doing is like, you know, the, the, the guide to homeownership and how air quality plays a fact into that. You are so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I, can I just, can you come back on the show when you, when that book comes out? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I just totally put you on the spot and I can, I can edit that out, (laughs) but that is so cool. That is, yeah. yeah, Like I need that. (laughs) I need, that's something that I need is a book on air quality. Yeah. And I'm going to do a lot of research and learn in uh, in the process of, of stuff that I'm probably not doing as well. Because it's so basic and so pivotal. Like I'm just like, I'm having all these aha moments and I wish I could share them with you. But, you know, when, (laughs) when I work with somebody that doesn't feel good, I mean, obviously they're coming to me, they've seen five or six doctors at this point. Right. And they've just haven't gotten anywhere. I I start with the basics. I say, are you getting eight hours of sleep? How how much water are you drinking? What kind of water are you drinking? Like the base, because if I don't start there, I can give you all the supplements in the world. You're not going to feel better. I'm doing you a disservice. I right. need to start with the basics. Your liver does its detoxing when you sleep. If you're not getting eight hours of sleep, you're not detoxing properly. I can tell you that off the bat. So we're going to start there before I give you anything to put in your body. We're going to master sleep. What I yeah. should be starting with is air. What are you breathing in? Yeah, that would be a mind scratcher, right? What yeah. are you breathing in? Uh, air, I think. <laughs> But what kind of, what's in your air? Yeah, what's I mean. in your air? Yeah, no, that's going to be <sighs> like, when I talk, when I talk, um, it doesn't matter who I talk to. Like I, the, earlier I had a podcast with um, literally a respiratory expert, a lung expert. And when we started talking about this stuff, they're like, yeah, I know, you know, I know mold. And then 
then they're like, wow, Michael, I am literally mind blown and I'm an expert. Yes. <laughs> because it's like, you know, people, we don't connect the dots often enough, you know, yes. and you can be an expert in, in lungs, but not understand that there's things that go into those lungs that can really cause damage other than the fact that, you know, just the general terms you learn in school or something. And so, you know, that you really have to look at things objectively and connect the dots to really formulate a solution to a problem. And right now the problem is, I think the biggest problem is we don't know anything at all about air quality and how it impacts our health so that we could optimize our health because that's what we, that's the number one thing we should be looking at. Oh my goodness. This is, this is such a great conversation. I'm so, thank you so much for coming and talking to me. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Oh, I just, is, is there anything that you wanted to talk about or cover that I have not brought up? Um, I'm sure, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll have to have another conversation again and, yeah. uh, you know, dive into this more. Cause I know that you're, you've probably learned some things. I know I, I always learn everything, you know, a lot of things when I talk to new people. So I am sure that you're going to have further questions and I'd be happy to have another podcast with you. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Yes. You know, a lot of the people that I work with, and that listen to this podcast do suffer from mold toxicity. So I know that this episode is going to be highly listened to. So uh, yes, you, you are welcome back anytime. I I would love to, I'm sure we could talk about this for hours. So, um, so yeah, I, I, um, I've, I've got in the show notes, how people can get a hold of you. Your Instagram is the mold medic, your, your website's themoldmedic.com. Your book yeah. is the bold medic. You're such a genius for t- taking the same name for everything. <laughs> and then your, your company, your website is allamericanrestoration.com. I'll have that in the yeah. show notes so that everyone listening who's driving, don't stop and write things down. You can click in the show notes um, when you're not driving. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, well, thanks, Michael. I really, really do appreciate you, your time and your expertise. You, I have learned so much from you today and I'm so excited to get your message out into the world. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me and and, and sharing this platform with me to educate others. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you learned as much as I did. You can find Michael Rubino on Instagram at The Mold Medic. You can buy his book at themoldmedic.com and you can hire him for your own home remediation at allamericanrestoration.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. When we know better, we do better, right? And also you can hit the subscribe button so when a new episode is released, um, they'll be sitting ready waiting for you in your queue. In my next episode, I will be interviewing CEO and founder of MD Logic, Scott Emmons. If you know me, you know I'm extremely hard and picky when it comes to supplements and supplementation companies. And Scott's company does things the right way. They don't skip out on quality. His products are some of the most well-researched on the market, and he puts his heart and soul into his work. I'm really excited to share Scott's story with you. And of course, you will have a generous discount to try out some of his products out for yourself. Okay, friends, it's that time again. Go back out in the world, be well, and be kind. I'll see you next time.